Welcome to the Coach Out Podcast. In this episode, we're delighted to have with us Daniel Delahay. He works within the Welsh FA National Trust and also Cardiff City as an academy coach. I'm going to lead on his experiences as we go through a couple of topics within this episode. But actually, I reflect now it's probably too much that that one side of being wrapping him up in a comfort blanket and saying, look, everything's going to be fine, this, that, and the other. Players delivering or the players planning their session and me just delivering it. I think that's utopia or that's perfect, but I don't think that exists. Daniel and I will look into how we create the optimal learning environment for athletes within an academy structure. We'll specifically delve into the idea around self-directed learning, sequence questioning and developing a terminology around this and draw on conclusions from this. So, um, hi Dan, thanks a lot for uh, coming on with us today with the Coach Out podcast. Um, just briefly before we get into like the topic, uh, just be interested to, in a minute or so, just kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of um, kind of your career so far and, and what's kind of got you to this point, Dan. So I'll let you fire away. Yeah, so um, started um, in college, started coaching, went through BTEC and started coaching and then um, started in rugby actually doing a little bit with the under eight. Um, football's always been my sport, but it was a pathway in. I then went through college and went to, um, out to America and coached in America um, with Challenger Sports and did a little bit out there, did two summers out there, 2015 and 2017. In, the, in between that, well, in between those two years, done my, um, my BSc degree in football coaching at the University of South Wales. Also, I went uh, at USW, at University of South Wales for my master's degree as well. Um, in advanced football coaching performance, I think it's called, um, which passed the merit. And then in that time as well, I was coaching at Merth Town with the women's team. Um, and then in the master's year then was with uh, the men's first team, which played in the Bucks Premier South. Um, won that, won the National League and went unbeaten all year. <clears throat> um, and then was at Cambrian with the development team, which is under 19. So predominantly a lot in Welsh football. Left uh, university then, started my job at the FAW Trust, so the Football Association of Wales Trust, um, working in the sort of participation element of the, of the, of the, uh, of the national governing body. Where, um, alongside that then, uh, started at Pont de Priest Town, who've just been promoted to the Welsh Premier League um, with, the, with the first team and set up the academy. Um, so set up the academy from under eights right the way through to an under 16s. Um, and then left there in December this year um, and went and done a little bit of Bristol City with the um, Regional Talent Centre under 16s. Um, and then was at Cardiff City with the 10s. And to be fair, both clubs were great in terms of me allowing me to do both. Um, and now I'm just with Cardiff with the under 10s and with the FAW as well. So that's a very, very short <laughs> six or seven years um, in one yeah. element. Yeah. No, but it's brilliant because, like I said, I think straight away, thinking about the topic we're going to go into, it's going to be quite a vast kind of experience from you over the last six years yeah. where these things are looking, especially probably looking at the angle I, I might come from to kind of go into some of the detail with you, be around 
after I worked a bit more at like the professional development phase end. Um, so it could yeah. be it'd be interesting where that kind of, this kind of stuff continues through. So like I said, let's let's get into this. Like I said, the topics, the optical, the optimal learning environment. And again, this from our end is something that sparked from a document we've seen probably six to nine months ago where there was key key areas of it. And in other podcasts coming up, we'll be looking at kind of two or three other different elements. But there's two key ones we go after today, which are around almost self-directed and self-kind of regulated learning within your your athletes that are with you. And then how do we almost develop like a terminology or a sequence of questioning that kind of builds up a story. And again, it probably links through to some people might have done the Youth Award and the Advanced Youth Award. And I think Module 3 was around developing the player and the individual, and it's kind of come from there. Um, so again, because this, this kind of might differ as well, Dan, but uh, what would it mean to you if I was to say to you, um, do you have an optimal learning environment where you work? I think for me, it's about making the training session the the most effective for players to learn and, and and again i'm using the word learn but it's it's allowing the players to get the most out of the amount of time that you're with them so i think it's about sort of the the um the volume of learning or the or the yeah, it's about the volume of learning for me, which is really important in terms of how much they can actually grasp of what you're saying and what information you want to pass across or information that they are taking from what they're doing within the game um, as being sort of what it, what it is in terms of my point of view anyways around sort of how effective can I be as a, as a deliverer, as a facilitator and just as a, as a, as a human being to these people as well. Yeah, and how would you kind of delve into kind of the effectiveness? So you're saying you, how effective you could be. Yeah. Um, is there a kind of examples or almost traits that you have that you feel are effective as a coach, whatever level you've worked at? I think for me, I, I think the way of measuring success is looking at the, the constraints. So I, I, I believe I put a lot of um, emphasis on constraints-based learning. Okay. Um, so for me, it's around sort of if I put a constraint on it, what I like to see is is one the, the players are looking to try and do it. So it, it's sort of and then how do they take that then from training and the constraints that I put them on with them in training to then how I put them on within the environment and and the game how they put it in a game environment and that's how I really feel that you can really see that learning is happening that it's not just happening. When you're telling them to have to do it and putting a constraint on it, it's happening organically within the game. Yeah, no, I like that. And just just flip it because that's probably led straight into the first first topic we're talking around, like self-directed learning. But is there anything? And this isn't like digging other coaches out, but is there ever like the opposite you've seen in terms of coaches that you don't think do this well or kind of haven't grasped it yet? The self-directed learning. Just around the optimal learning environment. So in terms um, of what you just said there about being really effective around constraints and yeah. people really buying into an athletes buying into what you're working on. Have you seen the opposite side in regards to how a coach maybe works in a group and you feel that they're not providing that environment? Yeah, I I think for me the environment dictates everything in terms of how successful we are. Um yeah. 
So just on just just I'll come back to the point, but for me it's around causing real stress for players. How can I cause stress in a in a controlled environment? And and that comes through constraints. That comes through the um the element of sort of giving players real opportunities to feel stress, feel what it feels like, really sort of take it on and 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 be someone who and who can handle stress. And then obviously, if we stress them too much, it's then how do we become the comfort blanket or the person that puts an arm around them and says, right, okay, that's fine. Whatever happened there, that that's absolutely fine. But for me, the 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 bad instances that I've seen is where that comfort blanket comes out straight away, and it's about getting lots of success, and it's about um, not really being pushed any further. And 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 through my through my experiences, I've seen plenty of this, where it's about sort of that, and then and then on the flip side, then. You could go, there's other coaches where it's all about winning and the only thing that matters is winning. So there's there's two ends of a spectrum there, I guess, where it's not about the result. And and I've been that person at times, either side. I I think I've been the person who's really looked, and I definitely when I was younger, was more around and I worked with under-14s, under-16s girls, and I thought that that was the best way for me to get um, the best out of them and how they would actually learn and develop. But actually, I reflect now, I was probably too much that that one side of being wrapping them up in a comfort blanket and saying, "Look, everything's going to be fine." This, that, and the other. And then, on the flip side, then I've probably been too—I wouldn't say aggressive, but too forceful around results and different things like that. In other instances as well. Um, so I, that it's not about digging people out. It's about reflecting on myself and saying I've been those two ends of the spectrum, and I'm slowly starting to find where I really feel comfortable in terms of this is. I feel like this might be me now coming out as a coach, and I'm not sort of trying to be anyone else. So that's where I think now I'm. I'm trying to understand this optimal learning environment because. I've been on the two end of the scale for me. I'm just trying to find where that optimum level is now, I guess. Brilliant. No, I really like that. I really like how you kind of went the other way, which was probably something I, uh, I wasn't really looking at myself and you kind of blindsided me there where almost when you turned around <laughs> and said around um, getting the comfort blanket out too early, I thought that, I thought that yeah. was brilliant because it's a really interesting thing, which again, we could probably chat about a little bit more now but especially with probably younger players or from maybe your foundation phase leading into maybe your YDP kind of end of end of ages but how do you kind of gauge where that comfort blanket comes out would you and again it's really easy to go down the the, the road of you just got to know the individual but I'd probably go what do you what do you need to know about the individual to know about that comfort blanket kind of gauge so I, I I'm I'm quite an honest person, so in terms of I I brought the comfort blanket out a little bit too early when I came into Cardiff. I've only been in Cardiff since November, yeah. um, and 
terms of it being fully comfort, but sometimes the the line of the results doesn't really matter. Whereas the 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 result does matter to these to these individuals to these kids. Yeah. The result does matter, and and you're telling me that I'm one person who's going to try and drum that out. I'm definitely not. It's now how I manage the results and the performance that I want to get out of them. Um. So for me, the the the, the blanket did come out a little bit, and I'm, I call it the blanket, but it's just a just a nice way of sort of um symbolizing it i guess but um the blanket did come out a little bit too early in some cases where i'd be like right it doesn't matter the result doesn't matter the result doesn't matter and again we always talk about as coaches about if people are having you or players are having you well at that point i think i lost a little bit of respect within the group um interesting point which i have i think i've got it back now but I feel like I might have lost a little bit of respect in that group from the top end of the group because they they want to win. They want to win and, and they want to improve and they want to get better, but fundamentally they want to win. So for me, I'm still trying to, and I'm, again, <laughs> this podcast, this this talk isn't about me saying, or me sort of professing I knew, know everything. I'm still looking. And I guess, like you said earlier on, this is about, CPD for you, CPD for me as well. That's why I sort of said yes to it. But yeah. I, I'm still trying to find where that comfort blanket is. But there's a lad um, who on the weekend was goalkeeper. We've played back to him a couple of times. And he's been pressed and the opposition have scored off it. And it was around, he's, he's a very confident lad, so as soon as something doesn't go his way, he starts getting really upset. So for me, it was around giving him, or making him feel confident again and, and sort of shifting blame as well. So for me, I'm asking him to do that so that if anything happens or any goals happen, that's on me. That's not on him because... I'm asking him to do these actions. So if, if two goals go in and I've been asking him to play out and he gets pressed, like like what happened on Sunday, that's my fault. That's not his fault because I'm asking him to do those things. So it was around just reiterating that, look, I'm asking you to do these things. You need to now go and show me the reaction of, of what it is, of that it's not your fault, it's my fault. So go out there, keep doing the things, because I'm not going to ask you to stop doing these things, but it's just shifting blame, I guess. So that's, for example, just just an example of shifting blame from him to try and get the best out of him, because it, it was me asking him to do these things as a goalkeeper, because you want the ball as far away from, you, from your goal as a goalkeeper, unless you're a top, top goalkeeper. So... I guess for me, it was around that side of things. Was, look, it's not your fault. It's, it's, it's my fault for those actions. How would you potentially kind of deal with that at, again, an older, an older age? So probably, probably leaning towards like, how far can you push now? So you've, we've talked one side of kind of using this comfort blanket to almost kind of nurture and help and be, like I said, that, that kind of safety net. On the other, on the other hand, how how far do you think you can push? 
as a development coach? Because I think this is I think this is a great conversation for for like any academy coaches out there in terms of like we're trying to push. We see a lot of stuff at the minute around like grit and determination and being able to kind of you know, they're kind of sink or swim environment. Yeah. How do we again develop that probably further down the line? Like go back to the question again. How how far do you think you can push with this? For me, it doesn't fall into how far you can push. For me, it falls around actions and abilities. And so for me, if I know, sorry, let me just, I'm just trying to think about this. But for me, it's around what can everyone do from a player who plays grassroots level to a player that can play for Cardiff City's first team? What do they need to do? It goes back to being this sort of holistic approach around making sure that this person can be the best person they possibly can. So for me, if standards around equipment, around sort of leaving the changing room dirty, those sort of things, I will go very hard on because they are basic, basic abilities that anyone can do. You can, anyone can make sure that they leave a room tidy. Anyone can do that. So for me, it's around those sort of things are things that I really go hard on. Whereas the other stuff then, it's, it's context, it's player, it's environment. Those three things then will then dictate how I go and interact with the player. So we've got a lad who is probably the top of the group in the, in the tens. And don't know where he's picked this up from but loves to give his opinion on where players, where he thinks players should be and where players should play. So for me, straight away, I know I can be quite firm with him and say, it's not for you to pick a team, that's for me to do. And be firm with him because I know that that's not going to affect him. Whereas if I had a player further down the group that was doing that, I would probably listen to them because the last thing I want to do is be really firm with them and then knock their confidence because they're probably, these kids are so self-aware, they probably know where they fit in the group already. So for me, it's, it's, it's obvious, again, like I said, player context and environment. Those three things all play into how I would then interact with an individual. No, brilliant. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And again, it's probably, it's not one of the topics in terms of this podcast around the optimal learning environment, that was one of the key things when reading around it and starting to develop this kind of little series around it was, but that was the main thing. And you've heard the old, like the brilliant basics and stuff like in the past. Mm-hmm. And there's the legacy stuff with New Zealand, but yeah, it's, it's the foundation for kind of everything going forward. You can even look but, probably the top end of football now where you've got an environment where you've got, teams in the Premier League working at the top end and the ones that are first and second in the league at the minute work harder and do things better than the ones that are probably third, fourth and fifth and, even though the, and, the yeah, quality is there. Exactly and, and I think it's not just about these kids going and playing professional football it's it's around these kids going to be people at the end of the day like you'll have a career that will span 30, 25, 30 years from academy football right the way through. 
How much? How and then much? what do you do after? What do you how, do after that? Then. Yeah, no, so, totally agree. It's really interesting coming from your kind of context and environment around how do you manage that within your your kind of setting around you're trying to promote these things. Yeah, I've been there, you've probably been there yourself around. People will have high expectations of a particular player within your group or a particular player within your phase and go, they're going to play in the first team. So straight away, there's suddenly you're taking them out of this group of players and go and putting them on a pedestal and going, we've got to get this one through. And then how does that then affect all the stuff you've been talking about around standards and doing things right? For me, around like I said, around that the standards and stuff like that, they they don't they don't change. They don't change. Like my my approach or Again, the constraints or the sort of individualized coaching I would do with that person will change because I'm trying to stretch them and really stretch these individuals as much as I can. But my approach to them wouldn't change because he's top of the group or she's top of the group. It's still take the cones up, put the bibs away, make sure you're in charge of the balls. And it's getting to a point now where I think we're starting to get on top of it. But it's quite funny that the players in the bottom end of the group are getting it quicker than the boys at the top of the group, which is quite which is quite a funny thing. But yeah. I guess it's it's that confidence type of thing. It's that sort of, yeah, I think it's that confidence that I'm not trying to drive out to these individuals, but it's just trying to give them an extra bow to their string, string to their bow, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I guess yeah, it's it's um that's it's the same for me right the way through, and probably a little bit harsher on them as well if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> no, like I said, it's brilliant. Like I said, so yeah, we'll move on into into the first part around. Like I said, so we pick kind of two parts from this this idea of an optimal learning environment. The first one is this concept of self-directed learning. You can change them change the word it could be self-regulated it could be ownership all them all them kind of things but probably start probably at the at the end and work our way back so yeah just off the top of your head Dan what would that utopia look like for you so with your group in regards to this kind of self-directed learning environment what would the the maximum kind of entity of it look like in terms of utopia for you I think people talk about the game being the teacher and stuff. I don't think the game's the teacher. I think the game's the school and we and we as individuals and we 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 are the teacher because if they don't know we need to tell them. And if and if they do know then how can we make them better? How can we stretch them even further? Um I've always I've always toyed with this thought of players delivering or the players planning their session I mean just delivering it I think that's utopia or that's perfect but I don't think that exists um, at first team level at 19s level at, uh, at foundation phase level that doesn't exist I think that's utopia for self-directed learning but I don't think it exists 
So I think for us, it's around <clears throat> IDP stuff and all that side of things all comes into this yes. because they are the things that I see IDPs and the future of IDPs being a conversation between coach and player um, and not just being the coach says you need to do this, this, this and this. I don't think IDPs need to be necessarily negative either. Um, one thing we, we did when I was at Pont de Prix, we came up, we were a brand new academy, so I had sort of the range of everything that we we looked to try and do. And one of the things that I liked to try and do was the, the four corners, as, as everyone does. But then it was talking around the super strength, um, around what is this kid really good at? What is this kid's super strength? And he might not be, or she might not be, the strongest player in the group at this particular skill, but it's what they're good at. So this kid isn't just being, yeah, you're a good dribbler, but you need to work on this, 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 and this. It's a box dedicated to saying, look, your your super, your super strength is this, and keep doing it, keep working on it, because this might be the thing that will help you get to the next level. So, like, for example, I always use the Iron Robin example. His super strength was his left foot and cutting in and shooting. That was his super strength. His IDP would be he needs to work on his, on his on his right foot, but it didn't matter. He was such a one-footed player, but to get to that level, you had to be that good with his left foot. It was a super strength. So for me, that was one of the things that I like around sort of what I've added into our IDPs when I was at Ponty was a super strength. Just because I felt it sort of gives the player a real idea of what coach's opinion or what their opinion of each, or their agreed opinion is of this individual. Yeah, and I really like how you've kind of gone about it in terms of the game is a school and, and I'm kind of in your court a little bit around the players don't know um, in terms of the potential generation of players coming through now that don't study and watch the game as much as yeah. potentially in the past. So how do you develop that for them? But then also how do you still instigate almost like a bit of curiosity in them and they want to go and watch games and they want to um because I think go on. There's a great example I've got at the minute. There's a lad, he's he's ten years of age and he comes up to me and says, Dan, I've bought a tactics board. <laughs> and I was like, all right, okay. So then he goes on to talk to me about what he's done on his tactics board and this, that and the other. So I think their game isn't being watched anymore. Yeah. But these kids are playing a lot of football. So I think that there's a new way of of trying to capture their their love for the game in a different way. Yeah. And I think they want to be more interactive. So I think if you went to, if you went and watched took them to watch a game, they love that. But actually watching on the TV is not interactive enough. Whereas being sat there on the tactics board or playing the PlayStation or playing football manager or whatever that involves in it. There's an interactiveness to it. So I think that's the thing that these kids now want to be part of. They want to be part of it, not just sort of sat on the periphery. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's my opinion. And that's, that's an example that. No, it's, it's interesting. There's been a, there's been a real kind of in my environment around, I found that it's working again at the older end, but I found that this stuff around self-directed learning 
um, I found that failure has kind of sparked it in a lot of players recently. So to give mm-hmm. an example, a player we have worked with who has a lot of success as a wide player and is quick and strong and powerful and does everything 1v1 so well and gets crossed in the box. Suddenly they've come up against a player that was as quick and as strong and as powerful as them. Mm-hmm. And that's almost been the selling point. Even though like over the last 18 months, it's been a case of one day you will come up against something that will be as good as you, if not better than you, and you'll have to have something different. But that's a real hard selling point when that player's always getting success. Yeah. And now they've come up against it in the last week or so, and suddenly it's that, like, oh, crap moment of, well, I need something different now. And they've almost, like, within the space of 24, 48 hours have been... What do I need to do? How do I get better? What's what's the different thing that I can now do in my game? And it's it's been really interesting. But then you almost feel like that player needed that eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's been a real interesting one from my perspective because, again, I think going back to the, the kind of topic around self-directed learning, you try and promote it early on, but the buying, like you said, is very small. And going back to your first the first kind of topic we talked about was it's usually the the lesser players in your group or the middle-of-the-road players that really want to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And your top, top-end players, because they're getting success, how do we maybe put something in place or a structure or a philosophy that gets into them really early? Um, yeah. But yeah, going back to last year, we have the Utopia. But then, if for instance, so go the other end of the spectrum from the Utopia to day one, you're starting out, you've got a brand new academy, there's no philosophy in place, you've just got a lot of players. If you were to try and make this kind of the core part of your program in regards to ownership and self regulated stuff, what would be the one thing you'd start with? Oh. Um, and it's it's quite funny that I've been there, that that yeah. place that you've just explained, I've been there. And I think probably the first thing would be, I think it's probably one of the easiest things to, to be able to, not be able to do, but I don't know. I think a player or start sort of promoting reflective practice. I think that would be the easiest one because, and I'm not saying it's easy because reflective practice is a very sort of hard, hard thing to do well. And I don't think I do it well enough, but I think reflective practice for players can be done in the car. If they just sort of, mum and dad, just they just say to mum and dad, look, give me five minutes. Let me just have a real sort of, deep thought about what I did today, the game and replay the game in my head. So for me, I think reflective practice might be one of the, um, I'm trying to think of the word, the more, uh, not easy, uh, easiest or more sort of, um, can't think of the word. I get achievable. Yeah. The more achievable. Yeah. And I get where you're coming from in regards to like almost that one probably sparks it as well. So yeah. you only probably need to work on one thing 
Um, it's like I, I remember I read a I read a book recently called Habit, where it was how do they change the mentality? But um, it was like a working environment, it was like a different industry to sport, and it was kind of well, they they had um, the lowest productivity in their range of products in like the last ten years, and the new CEO came in and went well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make it the safest environment to work. So forget productivity and what they wanted to get better at in the long run. But because he made it the most safe environment ever to work in, suddenly people weren't being off sick because it was there was a cleanliness to the place and things like that. Yeah. And then suddenly they ended up being the top sellers within 15 years. And it was, it was like you said, it's a really interesting thing there, what you said around what would you go after first? Because I think, again, linking back to the first thing we talked about, Dan, was I think there's an opportunity there as well where we talked about this comfort blanket earlier and rather than the more the, like the technical, tactical stuff, this self-regulated and reflection kind of work, this is where we could be a little bit harsher in, in that regard as well. Because if we really mm-hmm. believe that this is the thing that's going to make them better, because you look at, again, your top athletes in the world, in any sport, they're probably the best self-reflectors. Yeah. I think a great one was, a great example is probably Andy Murray around the tennis when he was flying. He reflected in such a way that he knew the right time to change your coach, which again is yeah. a harsh, harsh, harsh decision at times and he could be mm-hmm. doing really well. And then even, I remember the time when I got Amelie Moresmo uh, as, as a female coach and it was almost... Well, he knew he needed that kind of person. That takes a kind yeah. of a lot of a lot of confidence and a lot of kind of bottle mm-hmm. within yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's 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 move on. And then, like I said, we've gone through some of the self-directed stuff. We're then into, and again, I think this is a real kind of key. Um, what's a problem, but an area to work on within academies and development programs around. This idea of terminology and developing the terminology for players that they understand, whether that's age appropriate, and then also we'll get onto it as well as like the sequence questioning and what what this kind of means um, is around this kind of module three. If people haven't been on the module three as an FA Cup and on the FA awards, but almost developing a picture and a story for a player over a sequence of sessions or weeks or months rather than. Mm-hmm. One coach does one thing with a the player, and then suddenly the next the next week they're getting told something totally different or being asked different yeah. questions. And it's how do we almost create that consistency for them? So just thinking again, putting you on the spot a little bit, Dan. But in terms of your actual coaching practice now, and think to whether it's at Cardiff or whichever role you're in, do you plan the questions that you're going to ask groups or individuals within a session? Yeah, I think yeah, I do. I think the majority of my planning is is question based. So it's around say we're doing I don't know say we're doing working on width and depth. Well, how do we create width and depth? Is is the first question. Yeah. And one one at, at at Cardiff, one thing that's been really good at the minute is sort of is um. We get sort of the, the 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 sports psychologist will 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 like analyze a session and go through the session around what we did well as coaches, what we didn't do so well, and one of the things that that was mentioned in this was being explicit 
in terms of why are you doing this as a coach to the players and explaining it, which for me makes complete sense, but never never really thought about it. Sure. Always just thought, well, this this is this is what we're going to learn today, and the more and more I reflect on me not being explicit, the more and more it sort of I can't get my head around why I wasn't so explicit and why I didn't explain these things to players because it's not a secret in terms of players who come and say, oh, what are we doing today? Oh, find out. Well, well why, why say that? And that's, that was my response. Well, why, why am I saying that when this, is, this isn't a secret? I'm not going to do a magic trick and there's going to be fireworks and stuff. It's, it, it can be, you, you can be as explicit with the players as you want in terms of what they're going to do in the session, because actually they'll probably get more involved and feel greater sort of cohesion as a, as a group, not player coach as, with a group. And, and that's what I'm trying to create. But the, that sort of what's hiding behind this piece of paper is something that I never thought about. So, for me, my planning does exist, but I need to be more explicit with the group because then I think the questions become a lot easier because the players have an understanding of, of what's going to, not going to happen, but what the session is going to look like. Um, so yeah, the, the planning of questions does occur for groups and for individuals. And yeah, and, and sometimes I'll even ask, an individual a question to go and cause another individual a problem. So in terms of like the top of the group, how can I ask the top of the group? I want to affect him. So how can I ask this person a question that's going to affect the player at the top of the group? Because then it's like, for example, what's X good at doing? X is good at doing, but what's his weakness? Well, his weakness is this. Right, well, how can you go and exploit that now? So then it's around them identifying, reflecting what strengths and weaknesses are and how they can expose them and, and cause greater stress to a player at the top of the group. Really like that. I really like that, Dan. And um, just like rewinding back to kind of the first part of your answer to the question, do you think that what do you think the reason is that coaches aren't explicit or open with their session plan to the players? I really don't know. And and like I said, it was it was more just a little bit of a joke for me. Oh, yeah. wait and see wait wait and see and find out. But actually it doesn't really matter. Um that's my opinion anyway. But for me, I don't know. I guess it is sort of trying to be a little bit protective of, of your session because maybe it's a little bit of insecurity in terms of, oh, well, we're going to do this today. And the players go, oh, why are we doing that for? <laughs> maybe it's yeah. that. Maybe it's a little bit of insecurity around that, but it doesn't matter because, yeah, they might throw the, they might go, oh, what are we doing that for? But as a, uh, for me, if I know exactly why I'm doing it, then the explanation is, is the rationale for it and my rationale is 
has to be good for what I'm planning because if I'm not believing in it fully, then it doesn't really come to life. Yeah. No, it's a great, it's a great way to put it. Cause, and then like I said, just flipping it again, cause it's probably more around kind of groups was that than the individuals. Have you got any kind of examples or good practice in your head, what you can think of where you've really developed almost like a good bond and relationship between you and a player over a series of sessions or weeks just through how you've built almost like a story for them. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's, there's, there's bits and pieces around sort of, there's a, I'll make a slight joke around sometimes when I'll be like, I'm quite a jokey person and try and like have a bit of a laugh and stuff along with the players and things like that. And I'll always say, oh, see how this forms with this and this links with this and see how it, it's all layered. And and they'll be like, well, it doesn't just happen by by chance. It happens by planning. It happens by sort of a cure, a, a, a created thing. Um, but that the the group I work with right now, the individuals in that group are really good, and and they don't, they, there's a real sort of relationship being built with a, a certain individual who, when I came in. Um, really couldn't figure out what his best position was. Is he a winger? Is he a centre midfielder? Is he a fullback? Um, and again, he is 10 years of age, but where does his strength really lay and where can we cause him the greatest stress, but also give his strengths a chance to shine? Um, so we've moved him into centre midfield and the more and more bond is growing, the more and more I feel like he's becoming more coachable becoming a higher performer in the squad and his abilities are really being able to shine now. Um, and that's, I, I believe that's because of my relationship with him, not because of how good of a coach I am, because I generally don't believe I'm that good, but I'm, I think I'm okay at building relationships. Um, and I think that's probably my, that's the biggest thing around that is, is causing this hit, this individual stress but also get him success and then being the person he leans on when he is feeling slightly stressed where do you sit in regards to a better relationship between a coach and a player creates almost a better player and a better kind of development within that athlete I, I, I think it's I, I think I sit firmly in that camp yeah I think if you don't have a good relationship with that person in any walk of life, you don't want to go and speak to them. You don't want to go and spend time with them. You don't want to go on. And this is that. And there are individuals, not not within the teams. I think my my group that that I've got at the minute, I think I get on really well with everyone. And, and there's little nuances in each individual yeah. that I chat to. But there's some people that I don't particularly get on with. And the last thing I want to do is go and speak to them because you just feel awkward. So for yeah. me, I, I sit firmly in that camp. It's a really it just make... it's a really interesting concept. Sorry, just um because I've been again just through through experience and practice, like I try and almost map out now conversations with players mm -hmm. and 
and when did I last catch up with that person properly? And if, like I said, we've got a session tomorrow, I've not spoke to that person, that person for a couple of weeks. I, I need to really make, even if it's just before the session or after the session or just ask him about something. It, it's to almost keep them connections kind of going and not letting them drift. Yeah. It's really interesting how you can, and I'm I'm guilty of it sometimes in terms of letting relationships drift a little bit around even when you've got a group of players that are in with you five, six times a week, it's like you can almost like not talk to someone for quite a while. And it's yeah, it's something that I'm really, really conscious of. But then, again, probably a, a bit of kind of a negative on me is I've, I've got to pick up on that and almost be brave enough to go, do you know what, I want to, I'm going to go speak to that person today a little bit more. And, yeah. and not be like, you almost have a little comfort. Like again, going back to your yeah. comfort blanket, your environment. It's like I get on with these six or seven really well. So, because mm. I've noticed the, and I, I kind of not tested it, but like looked into it a bit this year. I was like, I don't spend enough time with her. So, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with her. And I'm not saying it's not taking credit for it I, one, in, one, in one way or another, but it was to then see the confidence, then the development of that person, because suddenly it was like, well, he cares about me or he wants to spend a little bit more time. And real. And again, the conversation have always been, you're amazing, you're amazing, because I think that's a kind of real grey area where if you're just being positive all the time, like I said, going back to all the stuff we said earlier, but being able to go up and yeah. down the spectrum of this is good, this is poor, this is crap, this is where you really need to work on and having them, them doing the same about themselves. It's really interesting the development in like in one player, and again, I I come to Tennessee and review my own performance and go, do you know what I should have done that with more potential this year? And I think I think there's obviously players there's obviously players that, and this is not just talking about now. This is talking about all my career. There's definitely players that don't get on with. There's players that you know come at loggerheads with on times and stuff like that. But for me, there's 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 two things to it. One, it's around trying and giving that person one an opportunity to to really have a, a real strong bond with them because we'll we'll do it. We we we'll do it and we'll go body language or the way they play up in a session or something like well they they do my head in. They do my head in. But I think if you can give them time and give them sort of a chance, a real chance, because I don't think we give people real chances on times, it can be a real powerful thing. So, like, I'll try and have nuances with each individual. Yeah. Little inside jokes or little bit of, like, laughy jokey, and I know I can be I beat with one individual and I can be serious with another individual and be a little bit sort of silly with the other. And I know I can do that. So it's around sort of, and again, it's around wearing those different masks or different hats. And again, <laughs> comes to being back to the coach, being a performer, it's, it's having those tools in your belt to then become the performer that each individual relate to or sort of you get a good connection with so again for me it's around sort of how do I do that with each of my individual group and 
and I've never really felt that I had time to do that um, when I was coaching twice a week in game on a Saturday because you'd come in, you'd train, they'd go. Whereas now at Cardiff, I feel like I'm having a real good exposure to that because they're in, well, they're in Monday, they're in four times a week. So I'll see them three out of the four. But yeah, on, on Sunday, we travelled right the way down to the south coast of England and we're on a bus together for, for six hours. Well, well, why am I spending that time speaking down with the coaches? Yeah, it's great and it's comfort. But why am I going to stand and, or sit down by the bus and have interaction with, with these people? Because this is time that is golden time, this. Because... I can really start creating real strong bonds with these individuals, not just being coach and player, but being, I don't want to say mates, cause, but being a real sort of close individual with these players. So, yeah, that's, that time is, is really important. Yeah. Do, do um, preconceived kind of experiences and judgments on characters kind of, you maybe lean away from players sometimes. So, for example, there's a certain player in your group who, like I said, doesn't put the work in, you're really disinterested. Do you find it kind of your job to inspire that, that player a little bit more? Or do you sometimes, like I said, human nature almost takes on and go, do you know what? I've worked with this type of player three, four, five, six times in the past and I see where it ends up. So you kind of almost limit your yeah. time with that player I think if I'm being perfectly honest probably yeah probably it does sort of but at the same time again bit of a sort of I like this I like socializing and, and this that and the other and I like being around people and, and having a good time whereas sometimes I find it really difficult with people who are quite socially awkward and answers yeah. forthcoming and, and, and want to talk to you and stuff. So that's really difficult. I, I do find that difficult. And that's something that is probably a reflection of mine that I probably need to get better at. And then they probably need to get better at that side of things of being able to deal with people who are socially awkward because this modern generation that we're seeing are becoming slightly more socially awkward than than one's past. So it's because of exposure to different things. And again, it goes back to the environment. The environment dictates everything. Yeah. Um so for me, yeah, it's trying to trying to get better at dealing with people who are social uh, not again, it's awful socially awkward, but it it's a term that's coined which everyone understands. That's why I'm Yeah. I think, it. I think something I've kind of come to a kind of bit of a conclusion on is around Think the more time you spend with someone, whether that's for interactions or whatever, phone calls, the lot, the kind of more you, you get out of them, whether that's a positive yeah. or a negative, and you kind of build that mm -hmm. bigger picture. It's, it's not, there's no rocket science, there's no amazing like algorithm or anything. It's like, again, I go back to probably criticism of myself this year. I look at the time I've spent with individuals is they've developed more in in yeah. my eyes and probably other people's eyes because again they've had more of you which again goes back to this 
really interesting stuff you said earlier around like self-directed learning, how the game's not the teacher. It's I think everyone started to lean that way a lot more from probably 10, 12 years ago where a lot of courses were around like let everyone just, just play. But it's like, yes, but the time you spend the time you spend with players and the time you spend with groups and the more you do with them and have these various interactions, actually you get you get more out of them and you can't actually mm-hmm. just just leave them to their own devices. And I think like a, and, go on. And I think there's a there's a dangerous culture that's been there for years around being busy or being too busy. So I spoke about being sat at the front of the coach because that's what everyone does. Whereas if I went and sat with my players, and I did it and I've done it, where I go and sit with my players and just, just chat to them. I've never been called busy, but there's always the slight worry that people might think I'm busy. Yeah. Or oh, why is he doing that for busy and all that? But <laughs> it's yeah, not no. about that. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's that sort of, again, that preconception of, of that element that people could perceive you as. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I get going going into kind of the wrap up stuff. Dan, with you, is yeah. You probably answered the first question there, where I was going to talk about what would you kind of change in your practice and promoting your talks around kind of them awkward, them awkward players and them awkward conversations and a couple of things. But mm-hmm. if you were to kind of, again, we go back to this big overarching thing around optimal learning environment. If you were to kind of grade yourself or put yourself in a position of, of coaches, where would you kind of see yourself on the road to kind of developing this? I think I've come into a brand new world. And, and what I mean by that is I've come into a new world in terms of I've never really coached at this level before. I never coached at this age group before. I've coached under eight, and then went under 13s when I was doing bits and pieces um, at the Welsh Academy with the boys. But this new sort of world is 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 new to me, so I'm still trying to find where I fit into it. I think I'm in the right position right now for myself in terms of as a, a foundation coach, foundation first coach. I'm not there. Um, Wrongly, I'm not there. Um, I should be. I, I think I should be higher. I, I genuinely don't. I, I I think I'm at the right level right now where I where I belong. Um, because I'm brand new to this. So I I I grade myself. I like my my goal is to become probably become the best foundation first coach I can be. Um. So for me, grade myself, oh, I think it's a difficult one because I haven't been in it long enough yet. Um, but I definitely know I'm not anywhere near the top. Well, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe flip it then and go, well, where, where would you like to be if you were to measure something within your practice in the next two years? What would you really like to develop within it? I think there's, there's two things. One which I'm working, and I'm working on them both now. One is becoming a better problem solver, a problem setter. Sorry, problem setter. Becoming a better problem setter for individuals, which ties into questioning. But then I think the other bit then is around practice design, 
which I guess they all sort of merge into one really, but being an effective practice designer to get out what problems I want to set. Brilliant. And lastly, mate, just a real, just throwing out there, going back to this utopia thing, if we were to do this, this podcast again, and we could have almost like a third, a second guest on, a third kind of member of it, who would you ask about this stuff if you had the opportunity to? It's a tough question, that. Um, it, it'd probably be around someone who's been in the game for a long time. I couldn't put a name on it. Um, I think someone from the top clubs, your Chelsea's, your, your Man United, I think it'd be a really interesting thing to see what they like, what their sort of thoughts and ideas are because they're at the top of the game. They produce players constantly. So what are they doing around these um, topics to really get the best out of their players and create really good players? That would be probably one of those and again foundation phase coaches because anyone you could say oh Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola but for me I don't think that would be me being authentic whereas I think if I could get someone who works in those environments and top clubs in those environments then that would be me seeing myself as being authentic to where I am right now. Is there any just just on that is there anyone potentially on a match day when you've been on a Sunday, you go and have your academy games and you're seeing an opposition coach who you go, do you know what, I really kind of like how they do things and they might have asked a certain question within a within a game or at some point where you're going, do you know what, that's, that's something I can almost steal and go after a little bit more? Yeah, again, there's there's been certain instances where I've gone, do you know what, I'm going to nick that, I'm going to take that. Um, Again, I can't probably tell you the club that they've come from, but there's definitely instances where I've gone, yeah, I'm, I'm having that, I'm having that, I'm going to take that and sort of start replicating them on the side of the touchline. Um, but certain things, and again, that thing of being a thief and all that, we, we hear that from the, the foundation sort of courses and stuff. So for me, it's, it, 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 it does exist it, those people do exist and I just be kind of sit down with them and after the after the game other than just standing there chatting to each other when balls are to play etc so yeah that's <clears throat> that's probably what it would be for me is, is, is speaking to those people who consistently produce players <laughs>